Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We're your staff writers for Swamp24-7.com. Blake, uh, a bit of a tough weekend for the Florida football team. I think we all knew that this was kind of going to be a game against Texas A&M that would probably provide Florida a little bit bigger of a challenge than they saw in the first two weeks against Ole Miss and against South Carolina. Florida, unfortunately, comes out of the gates really, really strong in this game. The offense was on point, but you know, as we expected, Jimbo Fisher was going to be able to find some matchups that he liked, and, and we kind of talked about that on our preview episode of the podcast, that that's what Jimbo Fisher does. He finds a matchup, and he kind of hammers it home. At the end of the day, Florida ends up losing 41-38, to 38, uh, kind of an early season setback for the Gators. Like, let's, let's look at this big picture first. You know, knowing that this was a 10-game SEC slate, I think we kind of knew that there was going to be the chance for some of these games. And as good as Florida's offense has been, where does this leave the Gators in kind of the big picture going forward? You know, I, I think whenever you have a 10-game SEC schedule like that, I mean, I think you're kind of a fool to think that a team is going to go through this undefeated. It could happen, sure. You know, that's it, football. You know, I mean, there are teams that, you know, come out. I mean, Alabama's obviously done it before. I mean, there are, LSU did it last year. I mean, there are plenty of teams, you know, mind it wasn't an, an all-SEC schedule. It's not impossible to see that. But I, I think this year it was it was really tough to expect someone to come in undefeated. I think whenever you look at the loss, I guess, in the spectrum of Florida's schedule, I think you'd rather it be an earlier season loss than, you know, sometime later in the season whenever you start looking at bowl games and college football playoff and predictions and just all these big picture postseason things. So I guess big picture, Florida controls their own destiny at this point. I think they need to work on con- yeah. continue to work on what they're working on. Uh, that was an ad, sorry. Um, just continue to work on what they're working on. You know, I, I think obviously the defense is going to have to improve going forward for the season just because it's it's not going to get much easier. Um, you know, th- there are always going to be these tough teams, and, and it does seem that offenses are really, really doing a good job in the SEC when you look at a lot of these teams. I don't know if it's bad defensive play or just good offensive play. So at this point, Florida controls their destiny, and I think that uh, at this point, I don't know if this game – I guess it could be a wake-up call for Florida because, I mean, Georgia's still on the schedule. LSU's coming to town this weekend. Mind you, they're one and two. But at this point, Florida just needs to buckle down and, and you know, stay focused and, and kind of grind out the rest of this season. Yeah, and I think I think for me the frustrating part, for and probably for a lot of Florida fans as well, I would think, that, you know, Florida seems to get to this point of the schedule where it always seems like we're saying going into that Georgia game, well, they still control their own destiny, right? Um 
you know, you look at 2018, they had obviously the Kentucky loss last year, you know, losing to LSU before that Georgia game. Um, again, those are losses that don't necessarily take you out of the SEC East race. But for a Florida team that's really looking to contend against Georgia, you'd hope to not have your back up against the wall going into that game. And again, big picture wise, it doesn't necessarily change anything. Like you said, they still control their own destiny. But I think going into this year, seeing how good the offense was in those first two weeks and, and kind of knowing that this is the year that Florida could have something special when you look at that offense. Uh, I think Saturday was extremely frustrating for Florida fans because you didn't need much, man. You needed one stop here. You needed one punt there. Uh, you don't fumble the ball in the fourth quarter. You probably win that game. So I think that's probably more frustrating for Florida than anything, that it still feels like, you know, they're maybe not quite there. And you look at what Georgia's done so far, that offensive line, uh, you start to think about the matchups going forward. It's going to be hard to see Florida, you know, stopping that Georgia run game the way that Florida's played so far on defense. So now, like you said, your back's against the wall. Um, again, 10-game SEC slate. Nobody was probably going undefeated. You know, I, I think even Alabama, as good as they've looked, you know, Ole Miss, Ole Miss showed Saturday that even Alabama's a little bit vulnerable. So, you know, I don't know. The, the, you made an interesting point, too, about the, the defenses in the SEC this year. It does seem like everybody's given up a ton of points. Um, you know, whether that's lack of preparation time due to spring ball being scrapped and, you know, strength and conditioning programs not really being normal, I don't know. Um, I will say that, and we'll, we'll get into this a lot in the second half of the show in terms of what maybe Florida can shore up defensively. Um, but, but right now, Florida's just not up to snuff on that side of the ball. No, not at all. And, you know, you look at games, it, there's different problems to me. You know, you look at different games. You know, I, I, look at the, I look at this Texas A&M game, and, I mean, it just wasn't very good on either side of the ball as far as the front seven, the secondary. I, I think that was just kind of a, just a disaster all around. But you look at some of the other games – you know, I thought Florida secondary played quite a bit better in that South Carolina game. The front seven, a little rusty there. I thought uh, in the uh, Ole Miss game, I thought the secondary really struggled, but I thought that they were getting some pressure from the defensive line. So I, it, to me, the the most concerning thing is the fact that it, it's just always something with this Florida defense. You know, is, is it the pressure? Is it the secondary? It, you know, you, you can, and then you look at this Texas A&M game and it just wasn't very good all around. So I think at this point, fans just want to see – something improved they want to have something that they can kind of hang their hat on well you know the defensive line is playing good the secondary is playing good you know this that and the other's playing good and you just don't have that coming off this loss yeah there's no real consistency and I don't think that's a Florida specific issue at this point I think you're seeing it play out around the league with some of these results um, you know even LSU you know given all that they've lost you know struggling against Missouri last week and ultimately losing despite winning the turnover margin by three uh, again you know Ole Miss really troubled Alabama so I think there's a lot of teams that I think consistency is going to be especially lacking early in the season. And I'm not sure, you know, if there's a magic date or, you know, a line in the sand where we cross and all of a sudden teams start looking like a normal, you know, SEC team when you've had all offseason to prepare and, and had spring football. I don't know what the answer is there. I do know that, you know, Florida has an opportunity in the next two weeks to basically put this Texas A&M loss in the rearview mirror. If you can beat LSU, which I think you absolutely should, Florida's looking pretty close to a two-touchdown favorite in Vegas at this point. Um, LSU's got all kinds of problems. They do not have the personnel to match up with Florida. Um, if you can get by LSU and then you can get by Missouri going into that bye week, I think by that point you'll have ironed out enough things that at least the things you haven't quite ironed out yet, you know those are legitimate, legitimate issues, and then you can start to scheme around them or try different guys, try different things, um, maybe cover up those weaknesses. But I think, you know, yes, Florida lost. Florida did not want to lose. It's, it's a crappy, crappy game to lose, especially the way it went down. 
But at the end of the day, but granted, I had Florida before the season going nine and one. I don't see them beating Georgia at this point, um, not without serious, serious fixes. But at the end of the day, you know, the loss, if you take care of business the next two, next two weeks, everything's in front of you, like you said. And I think really when we, we kind of circled 2020 and looked at the calendar, the, the, the game we all pointed to was Georgia. And at the end of the day, if you go out and you find a way to beat Georgia, that's going to be far more meaningful than this Texas A&M loss looking back. Again, you never want to lose a game. And I think the, the more frustrating thing is that Florida, like you said, there, there was no answer defensively on any level of the defense on Saturday. And that's concerning because you had hoped after seeing, you know, and I thought, let's, let's be clear, the improvement from week one to week two from Ole Miss to South Carolina on defense, it was marginal. It was there. It was there, but sure. it, was, it, was, it was small. It wasn't a significant amount of improvement. But early in the season, you're hoping, you know, even just a little bit of improvement starts to snowball. I think what, what a lot of Florida fans are going to be really, really frustrated about is not only did it not snowball, it seemed to regress. You know, it, it, give credit to Jimbo Fisher, give credit to A&M, whatever you want to do. But Florida did not take a step forward and I thought took a significant step back. And I think what's going to be frustrating and – I keep using the word frustrating because I don't know how else to explain it. It's, it's honestly frustrating. Disgusting. It was frustrating for sure. You look it, at the message board. I had friends texting me. They were frustrated. I think, I think that game in general was a very frustrating game for Florida fans. And the thing that's tough about it is even as you know, an analyst trying to kind of break it down and say, hey, here's what I do. Here's how I fix it. When you're talking about having problems at every level of the defense, like you said, there's no real thing you can hang your hat on. There wasn't any strength they could say, okay, this is our strength. You know, we're going to get after the passer. We're going to create pass rush. Even if, you know, we potentially give up a long run by giving up a pass rush lane or we give up a big pass over the top, let's go after the quarterback. Let's force some fumbles. Or, hey, we're really good in the secondary. We're going to sit back in coverage and, and basically just rush three and try to get picks. It, none of that is there for Florida. The linebacker play, they can't get off blocks. Like, there's so many problems at every level of the defense right now that this Florida team just does not look equipped to compete for a championship right now. And as good as they are on offense, I mean, this is one of the most efficient offenses I've ever seen in my decade plus of covering college football. As good as they were, all they needed was one more stop or one more three and out from the defense. And they just couldn't get it, you know, time and time again, they just could not get it. So, you know, for Florida, I think it's going to be back to the drawing board. I, you know, talking to Dan Mullen after the game, he sounded very frustrated. It was probably the most um, terse I've heard him, um, you know, <laughs> walks into the post-game press conference and, and tries to sit down on his chair and the chair falls over and, you know, Mullen tumbles to the ground. I mean, it just – it was such a microcosm of everything that went on Saturday that, you know, you look back at previous Florida teams and they've had similarly frustrating losses. I know a lot of people will look at that 2008 season where they lost to Ole Miss. Um, you know, just couldn't get that defensive stop when they needed. And then, of course, the offense comes up short on that fourth and, fourth and short with Tebow. Maybe this can be similar. You know, I, I do like the character of this team. I, I worry a little bit about the leadership on defense. I think they've got, obviously, loads of leadership on offense between Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, uh, some of those receivers. But for me, if this, if this can be a wake-up call for them, and maybe even for the Florida coaching staff, because I, I don't think the defense has been coached particularly well. I think they've got guys playing in the wrong spots. If it can be a wake-up call, there are enough pieces that this offense can power you through like LSU's did a year ago. I mean, LSU's defense was not spectacular a year ago but they made just enough plays when they need to, to allow their offense to go out and win games. And the way Florida's constructed right now, Blake, that's how they have to do it. They have to do just enough to give their offense, put the, put the ball in the offense's court to go win the games. And if you do that, I think this offense will deliver more times than not. But Blake, they've got to make some, some structural changes to me this week going forward. 
No doubt. And I think even overall, just from watching just Florida and, you know, three games isn't this gigantic spectrum to, you know, kind of judge things off of, but it's enough, I guess, for me to pose this question of, do you think that a lack of a, I guess, a killer instinct in this Florida team, it seems apparent that they just don't have that killer instinct that championship teams have. When you look back at, you know, and I've done it, I've seen other people compare somewhat to this team, Florida's team now to last year's LSU team. But I thought that LSU team really had that killer instinct. They knew when to, you know, to do this or do that, or, you know, this will turn the game around. And I just, I haven't seen that for this Florida team. And I don't know if that's a defensive thing. You know, obviously the offense has been fine. You know, they're, they're efficient, you know, sure. One fumble probably would have changed the game there at that, you know, the last couple, you know, in that last drive for Florida in the Texas A&M game. But I guess I just haven't seen that, I guess, killer instinct from this team. And I, I think that that's what you're really going to need in an SEC schedule where you're going to have to grind things out. And I think that, that could be a wake-up call for Florida to kind of, you know, if, if you've got a team on the ropes, you know, Florida, you know, A&M was, you know, kind of, uh, you know, imploding, so to say, at one point, a lot of fumbles, or uh, excuse me, not fumbles, a lot of, uh, you know, penalties. It just seemed like they were getting frustrated, and I thought that was a time where Florida should have put their, you know, their foot on their necks and continue to go forward. And it, it just seemed like Florida did kind of back off, even offensively. You know, defense was not good in the game, but I, I think that that's something that Florida could use too in this team, you know, kind of, uh, you know, I, I guess smelling the blood in the water and attacking. There's no question about it. And we've seen it in really all three games. I mean, you know, Florida is up 38, 14 against South Carolina and then, and then really allows the Gamecocks to come all the way back to basically within a, a possession. I mean, they were on the foot of the goal line and, and, and weren't able to convert obviously, but for all intents and purposes, that could have easily been a one score game, you know, when Florida was up 38, 14. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely a factor. I posted some of the numbers just looking through, Florida's drives and uh, you know in the first half of games this year Florida's had 15 drives uh, 12 of them I believe or sorry a little bit fewer than that but um, basically they're scoring 4.87 points per possession they're scoring on 80 percent of their 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 drives and when you get to the fourth quarter that number drops to scoring on just 60 percent of their drives Uh, they had obviously the key fumble they had a punt in the South Carolina game in the fourth quarter Um, you, you know I I'm not going to point to the offense as being at fault you can't, you can't. for this lack of killer instinct because when the defense can't get off the field, uh, you know, clearly, clearly that is far and away the biggest issue for this team right now. But, yeah, I mean, championship teams, like you said, LSU, they found a way to hit that killer pass that breaks your back after an opponent comes back and, and makes it a threat. Florida, to this point, has not been able to do that. You know, and they, they got help from Texas A&M with the, the A&M fumble there. Uh, I think early in the fourth quarter and just couldn't quite put the nail in the coffin and it comes back and haunts you in the SEC. You know, this is not a league where you can afford to not have that killer instinct if you want to win a championship and Florida's going to have to figure that out. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it in the second half of the show, but one of my question marks for the defense is I just don't know who the leaders are right now. Right. Like obviously Ventrell Miller is playing very well, but he's not like that Brandon Spikes type guy who is going to fire everybody up and rally around him. He's not a Matt Elam type where, you know, he's going to make these you know, bone rattling hits that, you know, just get everybody revved up. Um, so I don't know who the leaders are defensively. And one of the problems is Kyrie Campbell was really a guy that Florida was counting on to be one of those vocal leaders along the defensive front. You know, we'll, we'll talk about what his impact, uh, you know, the impact that him not. I think it's big. Had. I it's think it's huge, big. But let's go ahead and take a, let's, let's take a quick break. Cause we, we got a lot to dive into on the defensive side of the ball. And then uh, obviously we're going to get to our five-star mailbag, uh, a new feature that we're kind of introducing on this episode of the podcast. 
Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, joined here by Blake Alderman. Blake, um, I don't think there's a whole lot to break down on offense. I mean, unfortunately, we could rave about Florida's offense and talk about how good the play calling's been, how good the, the play design has been, how, how well Kyle Trask is executing by and large what a weapon Kyle Pitts is, but frankly, going back to Saturday, none of that matters if the defense can't come up with a stop when it needs to. So let's talk about the defense, Blake. I- I'm curious because again, I talk about, I thought Saturday there were breakdowns at every level of the defense, but let me ask you this. If you were starting with one thing to fix on the defense, one area you could pinpoint, what is your biggest concern right now? What would you want to see fixed the most? You know, I think it's just a, f- I, it's hard for me to to say this because it, it's something that, you know, we don't know how, what's going on. And, and I, and I circle back to Kyrie Campbell. I think that that is just such a snowball to this defense to where they've got guys playing out of position. And I think that that is, it, it's hurtful for Florida on the defensive line. I think it kind of messes up them getting that pressure, but I think overall, it's just, you, you look at Florida's defense, they've got guys that, you know, playing, you know, uh, you know, your traditional linebacker spot that more than likely could be like a weak side edge rusher guy. They just have different guys, I guess, tweener type guys playing different positions. And I think that this year, when you don't have a guy like a Jonathan Grenard, you know, that true guy with some size that can rush the edge, that's because you've got a guy like Brenton Cox who's having to play strong side defensive end. So I think that the guys playing out of position and having guys that you know, aren't maybe quite suited physically or, you know, build wise to play it, you know, like I said, like, you know, a rush guy playing a, you know, a linebacker spot. I think that those different things are, it just has Florida's defense looking kind of out of sorts, I guess is the best way to put it. And I think that that is just kind of, it, it seems to be kind of snowballing through the season goes, you know, you, you have a guy like Zach Carter who who made an impact playing the strong side defensive end spot in that South Carolina game. He won defensive line player of the week, but he's just not really getting it done in at a defensive tackle spot. You know, you can't fault him for that. You know, sure. He could elevate his play. I'm sure he could think he could elevate his play, but I just think that just the, the up front, it just seems very out of sorts when, you know, missing Kyrie Campbell. And I think that, Sure, there's a lack of recruiting from, you know, a guy like Sal Sinceri who really didn't recruit defensive linemen, especially, you know, those interior types and the strong side defensive end types. So I, I guess it's, it's a lot of things, but I think depth really does hurt Florida, but that's, you know, 
playing wise, I think it's just the fact that they just seem out of sorts with having different guys playing out of positions. Yeah, and I think that I think that shows up. You know, I go back to I Grantham's motto defensively is for them to play fast, physical, and aggressive. I'm not sure I see a single one of those things out of this defense right now. Definitely. Are they fast? No, they look like they're moving in quicksand in the secondary. Um, it, I think that's a product of guys thinking too much. I think now guys are no longer confident because they've been torched for three weeks repeatedly. Um, but going to the physical part, I don't see it with this Florida front seven. And I said that in week one, and then I kind of wanted to dial it back a little bit and say, okay, well, it was first game. They hadn't done a lot of contact. And I thought they got a little bit better in that regard against <clears throat> South Carolina. Now, after seeing Texas A&M, I don't know, man. Like Jimbo Fisher ran out there with two tight ends in the second half and they just ran all over Florida. And again, it goes back to what you're talking about, about guys playing out of position. They just went at Brenton Cox. I mean, you know, he's a guy that he's fine. If he's playing buck, he's got enough size to play buck. You play him at strong side defensive end with the tendency. He has, he's crashing inside. He's, he's more, he's exactly that disruptor type that you look for like a la Ja'Kai polite. But the problem is you can't, you can't necessarily have that at strong side defensive end where your, your job is to set the edge and be the force player. And I think we saw that when, when Texas A&M went after him in the run game, they were not only able to pin him inside, but they were able to get a lineman to the second level and hit the first linebacker. And time and time again, Texas A&M's running back is getting into the secondary before he's even touched. I mean, six, seven, eight yards up the field before you even have anybody close to making contact. To me, that's not physical enough to be successful in the SEC. And I think, you know, talking about this Kyrie Campbell impact, that's exactly what it is. Um, Florida did not have enough recruiting in the 2018 and 2019 classes of those interior linemen. Jalen Humphreys, unfortunately, the one guy that they signed in 2019 that's still around from those two classes, uh, his development is, is further behind because he suffered an injury and was working his way back from injury last year. And I saw he got some snaps in the game last Saturday, but he just wasn't, he just wasn't a guy, you know, he wasn't a factor, you know, and, and, and that's I think the thing that is, that's... you can't, you can't expect freshmen to be the guy. Like, sure. Like just for a freshman to play in the SEC and physically hold his own is, is an accomplishment. Right. And, and Jervon Dexter, I mean, credit to that guy, he's been able to do that. And I think they're going to continue to put more on his plate and get him more snaps. But part of the reason Kyrie Campbell hurts so much being out is you only have three guys. You got TJ Slayton, you got Zach Carter, and you got Marlon Dunlap. Marlon Dunlap, an average player. I'll just go ahead and say it. He, he's serviceable to fill in as a rotational depth piece. He's not a guy you want playing 40, 50 snaps a game. And right now, unfortunately, you're having to do that because these, these freshmen aren't quite ready yet um, because Kyrie Campbell's out. Uh, I really, again, don't think Zach Carter is ideally suited to play D-tackle. You know, he's on double teams. His Making strength, it work is not something you want to do in an all-SEC schedule. No, and I think, I think, again, I go back to what we kind of talked about a little bit last episode on the podcast. I think Florida got a little too cute in the offseason trying to – you know, they put together a season where they had 49 sacks, were extremely aggressive getting after the quarterback. They sent guys from everywhere. But again, you go back to when they were at their best, they had Jabari Zuniga, who's a very powerful guy on the strong side end, a guy that's very similar to what Cox is right now, uh, probably a little more quick twitch. But then they had a guy that was much bigger at Buck playing Jonathan Grenard. And Brenton Cox is big enough to play that Grenard role, but he's not good enough to play that Jabari Zuniga role right now to me. Maybe he gets there at some point, but he's not there right now. And so you've got so many guys playing out of position. Jeremiah Moon, probably best suited as a, you know, situational pass rusher, not an every down buck. They've got him playing as an every down buck right now. And, you know, you see, you're just, you're not getting what you need. Same thing at linebacker, you know, Diabate's, you know, I thought Diabate actually played a much better game on Saturday, but he's not used to playing linebacker. So at the very least, it's going to take him time to adjust. 
you know, physically, I don't know that that's his strength. I think his strength is coming off the edge as a rusher. I think, I just think Florida overthought things a little bit and, and in their defense, in the staff's defense, I think they might've been better suited to do what they want to do had they had spring football and been able to work on these issues. You know, maybe they go through spring ball doing some of these things and realize, eh, that's not looking as good as we thought it was going to do. Let's move it around. Sure. You take out the, you know, the game planning. It's a lot of doing things on the fly on defense. And not just that, but you lose the, the whole strength and conditioning program. I mean, I know guys were doing stuff on their own, but lifting potted plants and pets is not the same as being in the weight room with Nick Savage, you know, at six in the morning when he's yelling in your ear and forcing you to lift a little bit more. I mean, it's just not the same. So not only are guys probably not physically where Florida staff had hoped they'd be when they laid out the plan for those guys like Jalen Humphreys involved, they've got to start playing the younger defensive linemen a little bit more. You know, even if, even if Zach Carter still has to play inside some, if you can get him out, you know, playing, you know, half of the snaps that he's playing right now back at that strong side defensive end position, you push Brenton Cox over to Buck for another half of those snaps. I, I think you'll see Florida be a little bit better. Um, but to be honest with you, Blake, I think that's the only practical solution I have for the defense. I have no idea what they're doing in terms of coverage. I don't know why they're doing it the way they're doing it. Um, I think that they're, again, I think this is, you know, they're playing so much zone that I think they're losing the ability for guys like Kyer Elam, Marco Wilson to redirect guys off the line of scrimmage, kind of throw, throw some hitches in the timing. And I think when you, particularly when you, it seems backwards to me that particularly when you have a lack of pass rush getting there right now, wouldn't you want to force the receivers to slow down a little bit right now? It's like, okay, we're playing off coverage. We're not getting to the quarterback. So they're easy pitch and catch throws. I mean, how many easy pitch and catch throws did Kellen Mond have, you know, simple slants, simple hitches for easy first downs, easy conversions. You know, you look at those third down numbers to me, that's it. You can't, you have to challenge them a little bit more. And, and I think Blake, I think you talked about this last episode on the podcast. Wouldn't you rather be boomer bust as a defense right now than bend and break? Because even if you're bending but not breaking, you're still keeping your own offense off the field, right? If you're boomer bust and they score a touchdown, at least your offense is right back out there. And the best part of your team gets to go out and, and have a chance to answer. Right. Florida would much rather be in a boat race type of game this year. 100%. Every game. They should, they should absolutely be trying to get their ball, their offense the ball, as much as they can. And look, if the defense gives up a couple touchdowns, so what? What gives you the best chance of winning the game? If they get an occasional turnover – guess what? You put another possession for that offense. That makes it extremely, extremely difficult for the opponent. So I just think Florida needs to, to really re-strikes. And, and ultimately what he says in press conferences isn't going to matter a whole lot. It's going to be what they do on Saturday. Um, but I do think, Blake, you've got two weeks to work things out. I don't think either LSU or Missouri should pose much of a threat. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it's time for some major changes for Florida. And I think it's, it's got to start now. Yeah, definitely. I think whenever you look at last weekend, I think was, was a really – it was a really hard game to watch defensively, you know, and I, at this point, you know, just looking at it, you know, when he asked me like, well, what do you think the biggest fix is? I'm like, man, how much time do you got? Like, I just felt like after watching that last game, like there's just so many different things, but I do think that fixing things up front will maybe help some things back in the secondary, obviously getting more pressure can help, you know, make those errant throws. You know, like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. They gave up, they gave too many easy throws for Kellen Mond, who isn't, you know, it's, it's not like he's Tom Brady back there. You know I mean? He's not a, you know, a, an elite SEC quarterback, but I mean, he looked damn good in that game. And I think that that had to do with a lot of what Florida's defense was doing. And I, you know, Kellen Mond is a veteran quarterback, but then. Sure. You're going to have those games. This is one other thing that bugged me about that game. How many times did Florida come up to the line showing a blitz? Kellen Mond checks it, IDs it, communicates it. And then Florida continues with the blitz anyway. And Mond goes right at it. To me, that's, I, it's just so frustrating to watch that. And then, you know, again, the, the, the blitzes are so telegraphed that if you're going to allow the opponent to check them, 
how are you expecting to get there? And then you're at a numbers disadvantage in the back end. It's like, to me, there's just, it, it, I, this defense is poorly coached right now. And I, I mean that from all aspects, uh, being a little bit patient when, when the run game comes. I, so many times James Houston is stepping up into, into an offensive lineman where if he had just been patient for a split second, he could have read, diagnosed the play, and then made his, his break on the ball. Um, I, there's just a lot of issues with this Florida defense. I, I don't know what the solutions are, but, um, you know, that's, that's why they play the game. So we'll, we'll find out come Saturday, you know, how they, how they do. I mean, LSU is capable of putting up some points. And like you said, I think Florida's fine with, with, a, with a boat race, but, you know, the defense at some point is going to have to come up with a key stop or two. Blake, let's, um, let's transition a little bit. We, we talked about last episode introducing – uh, some more interactive elements to the show. We we really want to make it so that people that maybe aren't necessarily subscribers of Swamp 24-7, but listen to the show can also feel like they're a part of the podcast. So we introduced the five-star mailbag. And basically how that works going forward is, is each episode, we're going to address uh, a question left by somebody that leaves a review on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, any, any of the places where you can download our podcast. And what we'll do is we'll pick each week one of those questions to discuss on the show for about five minutes. So Blake, I'm going to ask you, we picked a, a question from the podcast talking about expectations and how quickly the expectations have risen given Dan Mullen's first two seasons. The, the question basically, Blake, is have the expectations risen too quickly? How will Florida handle dealing with those elevated expectations, particularly in light of a tough Texas loss. Does it change anything that the expectations are so high? Does it make it harder on the team, harder on the players? And, and how does Florida kind of adjust from here? You know, I don't think it makes it harder for the players. And I think that it's, uh, and I think it's, and, you know, it's us against the world type of thing. I think that a lot of coaches do hinge on that. You know, whenever you have a loss, you know, you really have to buy in together and push, but I think big picture, I think that this, this loss was, it could change the perception because this was one to show that, you know, Florida is, is on the track that they need to be on. You know, these are the type of games that you want to win. You want to continue to show that, you know, a, you know, Florida is a national championship contender. They're an sec championship contender. These are the type of games that you want to win. And whenever you don't win those, you kind of have to take a look in the mirror of, you know, well, where do we go from here? I think at this point, expectations overall, Mullen has come in and he's done a fantastic job with the offense. You know, here we are, we're having a podcast. We're talking about Florida's offense is really good. You know, I mean, how many years ago do we think that, that was going to be something to talk about? There are things to work on, yes. But I think big picture, you know, this isn't – it's not a loss to where Florida is out of this race or, you know, they're, they're you know, dropping out of the polls or this is some kind of loss to, a, you know, like a team like a Vanderbilt or something like that. So, yes, there, there, are, there are a lot of things that Florida has improved on. I think that this type of, this type of loss is one to where – you're just not where you want to be as a program. And I say that as, you know, this, this is a team that coming in the season, you know, I mean, they were uh, top five, I think five was what they started at in the season, correct? They were a top five starting team. You know, those are, you know, Florida's talking about playing in the college football playoffs. We're talking about national championships. It gets a little harder now. You obviously have to beat Georgia. You have to, you know, continue. You have to be perfect to finish the season now at this point. So I think expectation wise, I think Florida still has a lot of, a lot of things in front of them. I think that continuing to add key players on defense was a really big focus for them recruiting wise to cycle. And now we see why, because they're, I mean, they're struggling on defense, but I think overall grand picture, you know, it's a loss that, you know, it hurts. It's a blemish because it's, you know, it's a game that, you know, 
continues to keep the conversation going of Florida being a national championship contender. But as far as this season goes, I don't know that it really deters anything. I mean, this was a game that, you know, even heading into the season, like you thought that, you know, it could be one that they lose. You know, I thought that I predicted preseason that Florida would win this game, but I did say that it was going to be tricky. I thought that it was going to be, you know, who's going to get that stop on defense. So, I don't know, you know, grand picture. I, I don't know that it's something to really, you know, kind of, uh, well, let's go home, season's done. But I think overall, it's just one that does make one more stepping stone that you have to have to continue to talk about, you know, Florida being that elite national championship contender type team. What raised expectations do more than anything is just increase the pressure. You know, it increases the noise in the system. And what I mean by that is look back to year two for Will Muschamp. You know, they win 11 games in the regular season. They're on the verge of potentially playing in the BCS title game, number three, at the end of the regular season. The expectations get ramped up. And what that does is basically, same thing with Jim McElwain, going to the SEC championship game twice in his first two years. It, it ramps up the expectation for you to take that next step. And by Dan Mullen winning 10 games in his first season and 11 games at Florida in his second season after inheriting a four-win team, the expectation is there that, okay, if you can do that with the holes that you had on the roster, with a roster that maybe wasn't as talented as the one you have now, the expectation as you move forward is to eventually get over the hump, so to speak. And obviously for Florida, the hump is Georgia. The hump is Georgia. It's Georgia's recruiting. And when the expectations get heightened like that, I think – it really becomes a challenge for a coach to keep his players grounded and not feed into the disappointment, the frustration from the fan base, right? Because it is out there. I mean, Florida fans are frustrated and social media has been just a disaster. If you're a social Florida media fired Todd Grantham two weeks ago, <laughs> you are a Florida defensive player. Do not get on Twitter. Like, okay. Right. So, but the, you know, these are college kids that realistically they're going to see it. They're going to be exposed to that noise. They're going to, they're going to under, they're going to see even some some fans grumbling about Dan Mullen for not having addressed this stuff already, right? And so the pressure really becomes on this team how they deal with that, right? They've been hit with adversity now. How do you deal with it? How does Dan Mullen keep his guys centered? And I think what you're going to want to see this week from Florida, what I want to see from Florida this week is a pissed off team. They came in with championship expectations into the season, championship aspirations. They knew that it was going to be tough. Okay, now they know exactly how tough it is. Where's the buy-in level? You know, Dan Mullen has established a good culture in this program. Here's where culture takes over. It's when you've, you've had a tough loss, you still have everything in front of you. Don't let one loss become two. And go ahead and prove that you're here to, you're here to play, you're here to stay, right? That's, that's, to me, what expectations do, is it makes it more challenging. There's so much more pressure. There's so much more noise in the system. And that's a good thing. Florida should have that. You know, winning teams – you know, that's what you want. You want the fans to care so much that when you have an unexpected loss, they're irate. You want that. That's what you want. That's why you play this game. That's why you come to a place like Florida. Because you know what? They celebrate you that much more when you turn around and win a championship. You know, you get a plaque on the wall when you make a speech like Tim Tebow did, and then you go out there and you back it up, right? That's what this team needs to see. I don't know if they have the leadership to do that, but this week is when we're going to start to find out, okay, they haven't been fast. They haven't been physical. They haven't been aggressive on defense. Who comes out and sets the tone? Where's the mean streak for Florida, right? Like, the expectations are there. Dan Mullen has said that from day one. They're not going away, right? The only reason they go away is if you crumble under the pressure and you fall, right? That's the only way they go away. So Florida's got two weeks to figure this out. They need to embrace that expectation, use that as fuel, use that as motivation, come out, 
beat the crap out of LSU and Missouri because honestly they are they are capable of doing that if the defense shows up with a little life. But that's what they got to do. I think they've got to make some schematic changes defensively. I think they've got to move some personnel personnel around defensively. But do those things. Come out with an attitude, man. Like you know, what what frustrates me is Florida's defense the first two weeks was bad. It wasn't very good, right? And, and they heard that they weren't very good and all that, and they said the right things. You know, Kyrie Elam said it's on him, it's unacceptable, all this stuff. They said the right things. But then they come out against Texas A&M, and you don't see it. You don't see the fire. You don't see the passion. And I don't just mean the players. I mean the coaches, too. The coaches need to get that figured out, right? It's on everybody there. You know, the expectations are there. I don't think it's a bad thing. But if you don't deal with it properly, it can be a bad thing, and it can tear you apart. So we're going to find out what Florida's really made of. Um, I think it's I think it's a good thing that Dan Mullen has elevated the expectations. But look, he's no stranger. He knows the Florida pressure cooker. He knows he knows exactly what he was walking into when he got this job. And I think the fact that he's been able to raise the expectations so quickly is is a real positive. But it also you know the more you have that high expectation level and you continue to come up short, the more fans are going to point to the reasons why you're coming up short. And like we talked about it, the, one of the biggest issues with the defense right now is that they had a recruiting gap for two years on that interior defensive line. Recruiting is maybe not Dan Mullen's strength, okay? So at some point, you got to win out with your strengths. Their strength is, is game day coaching on Saturdays, winning on the field. Now they're up against the wall. They got to do that. Otherwise, you know, everything starts to get picked apart. The noise in the system snowballs on itself. And yeah, it can be, it can be detrimental. I mean, you saw what happened with Will Muschamp. You saw what happened with Jim McElwain as that pressure started to mount. Dan Mullen's in year three. Um, you know, Georgia is clearly – Clearly, clearly the number one priority for all fans. You've got to figure out a way to solve that and get over that hump. And unfortunately, by losing to Texas A&M, you don't have that buffer anymore. There's no chance of losing to Georgia and then backing into the SEC championship game and potentially surprising someone there and allowing that to be that, you know, that achievement that puts you over the hump to the next level. You don't have the buffer zone now, so it's going to be really interesting these next couple of weeks, Blake. But um, I think that uh, that think that pretty well sums up our, our five-star mailbag segment. We actually – we talked about going for five minutes. I got a little fired up there and went a little longer. Uh, now but, I'm about to put a plaque on the wall with your speech. I know, right? <laughs> That's pretty good, man. I'm, I'm brushing my shoulders off here. Um, but, uh, yeah, guys, we're, we're, we want to do that every week. I think there, there's a lot of potential to, to make this show a little bit more interactive. You know, get your user feedback, your questions. Um, so the way you get involved in that is go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, Spotify, wherever. Leave us a five-star review, and in that review – uh, give us a question that you'd like us to answer on the next episode of the podcast. That'll do it for today, guys. We will be back later in the week on Thursday with a preview looking ahead to the LSU game and uh, what we can expect from Florida in that regard. So, anyway, guys, that's, that's it for today. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 